Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Uh, well, as this uh, incredible story, I mean, I'm just trying not to go gallows humor here, but like this story just keeps going and going. And, you know, now all the lawsuits are dropping. Um, and it just seems to be getting more and more ugly and more and more charged and with everything else going on. Um, we, we needed to get a little help, uh, to come in and help us, you know, kind of get deeper into everything else. And, uh, we are so pleased, uh, to welcome back to the show, Kaylin Kaler, uh, this time, uh, first time we had you on, you were with Sports Illustrated. Second time we had you on, you were with The Defector. Now, uh, we are happy to welcome on The Athletics, Kaylin Kaler. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, of course, guys. Happy to be here. Um, yeah, every time, it's like every year I have like a new job or a new job title. So, <laughs> yeah. We're loving the work that you're doing with The Athletic. I mean, it, it was so, when when I saw that you were joining The Athletic, I was so excited for you and love reading your stuff and, you know, with all of your history, you know, we were just really excited to have you on, especially uh, with the reporting that you've done on, on this case already so far. Yeah, we, I, as soon as, well, honestly, I had forgotten that we, that Northwestern football was even being investigated for hazing, if I'm going to be completely honest. Um, Cause that happened in January. I think they first announced it, but it was, I don't remember it being a huge story at the time. I remember like reading a headline and then kind of moving on. Um, thinking like, oh, hopefully it's nothing or, you know, hopefully it's not that bad. And then obviously when the two-week suspension was announced, I was like, oh, great. It wasn't that bad. And then I also forgot about it because my birthday was that weekend and I was like just thinking about other things. And then literally on what was it, July 8th of the Daily Northwestern story came out and I read that and I was like, oh, no. And so then I was like, well, I have to do some reporting on this. I mean, I normally cover the NFL, but I knew that I needed to um, work on this because this, I have so many, you know, people, I was there from 2011 to 2015. So I know a lot of people from my time being there, football players from my era, you know, guys who were there a little bit before, a little bit after me. And then also like you guys talk about this a lot on this podcast, but there's so many NFL people that are associated with Northwestern, either they were former players or they worked there in some capacities and then went on to NFL jobs. So there was just so many people that I could talk to. And I just like started making a list and I probably had like 30 something people on it. And so I was like, well, okay, I've got to start digging into this. And obviously at the athletic, we have like several Northwestern alumni, Medill people, and, you know, people were writing columns. That was kind of the first wave of coverage, but I was like, no, I think I want to make some calls. So I started making calls actually on my birthday, which was that Sunday. Um, and I was like, oh my God, Fitz is going to get fired on my birthday and it's going to be the worst birthday ever. Oh. Um, but it wasn't. He was fired the next day. So um, I, I escaped <laughs> my birthday without having to associate like the firing of Pat Fitzgerald with my birthday. But yeah, so I started making calls that Sunday and, you know, had some interesting stuff from people who were like around my age. And I was like, okay, I think I need to do a story on this. And then our editors were like, well, how about you work with um, Brian, ha Brian Hamilton, who also was a Northwestern graduate. And he was there in the nineties around the time that Fitz was a player. Um, I think they're like the same, I don't know if they're the same class year or they're close, but they're, they're peers for sure. And so 
we teamed up on it and our editors were like, how about you guys go all the way back to when Pat Fitzgerald was a player. So 1993 was his first year um, at Northwestern. And, you know, let's talk to somebody who can represent like every year of Northwestern football since 1993 and see what was going on in the locker room in the last 30 years. Um, because at some point, like this culture didn't just like come out of nowhere. So we wanted to find, you know, when did it, get worse what was it like in the 90s so that's what we tried to do with the story and we talked to i think it was 21 former northwestern football players that represent like every year since 1993 that was such an important aspect to me and what really made your reporting stand out kalen you know amongst the other articles and conversations that were happening because i think for so many of us that that are close to northwestern like much like you right i i hadn't forgotten that the hazing investigation was happening, but it was not on my radar. And I certainly did not expect anything like this to come of it. And when, and, and when the daily article was published, it was shocking and draw dropping. And I think the, the visceral emotional reaction from so many fans, so many former players, um, was, to, was total, you know, dismissal. Like this can't be true. I know Pat Fitzgerald, it can't, it can't happen. And I thought you did such an incredible job of, bringing bringing to life like how this came to be and and how it emerged over time and i think you know we we've talked uh, on our pod before that you know when you when you tolerate a small amount of hazing um you're opening the door for this snowball effect and it and it it ultimately eventually inevitably leads to to one place um i mean like your story would seem to back up that perspective is that is that like am i am i reading those tea leaves in the right way yeah, I think so. And I was actually like, I was really careful with the story because obviously, um, you know, I, I went to school there. Uh, it was weird to be calling, you know, people I hadn't talked to in like 10 years and being like, hey, how are you doing? Let's talk about <laughs> evening. Um, But actually there was some really pr- productive and like good conversation, like really like educational conversations that I had with, with people, with football players that you know, I hadn't talked to in a long time. And so that was really an interesting exercise in journalism, but I had to be really careful with it because I, you know, I don't, I didn't want to be like biased towards Pat Fitzgerald, but I also didn't want to be biased towards like, you know, what had been reported in the daily Northwestern. Like I wanted to like, make sure I was really getting as many perspectives as I could and sort of representing how, you know, I mean, this is such a polarizing topic and, you know, people are quick to judge the whistleblower. People are quick to judge the motives of somebody filing a lawsuit. You know, there's, it's very easy to poke holes in all of the people who have come, all the former players who have come forward with allegations of hazing. It's really easy for people to poke holes in them and criticize them. Um, So I just wanted to like, make sure that I wasn't like doing that to either side. So I really just wanted to get as many perspectives as possible because that's the thing with the story is that for some people, something something that is hazing to to somebody may not occur to somebody else. They, they may not read it the same way. It may not feel like hazing to somebody else. And now some of the stuff is like really black and white, like the, the running where the players are forced dry humping freshmen. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's pretty, pretty black and white. Like that's wrong. That feels very wrong. Um, it was uncomfortable to people who went through it at the time. They just didn't have the con most of them didn't have from what I've 
from what they've said publicly and what they've said to me is they didn't have the, you know, uh, reference points to realize that wasn't normal and that wasn't happening everywhere in college football because they only played in one place. And so, yeah, so I was just really wanting to sort of make sure that we had as many perspectives in there as possible. And like, and I think one of the, I think I was, I was happy with how it turned out because I heard from several former players that I hadn't even like gotten to in my list of people. And so they weren't included in the story and they were like, Hey, we were, we were sending this around our group chat and, you know, even the people who were like, you know, leading the Pat Fitzgerald fan club, even those people were like, that was actually really a good and balanced story. So I, that would, that made me happy because I wanted to be careful to like, not make, you know, create something that even the biggest critics wouldn't find any level of truth in, because I think that's what was so hard when this originally came out is like you just mentioned, there were so many former players on Twitter saying Pat Fitzgerald is like a superhero and could never be uh, responsible for anything like this. And there was no like level of understanding of like nuance and like, Mm -hmm. there was no context. So that's what we were trying to do uh, with the story. So I was actually, I was very happy with how it turned out because I felt like it was finally like uh, something that not that I'm trying to convince anyone to think one way or another when, when I write things like this, cause I'm just, you know, reporting what my conversations were and, you know, not going into it with a preconceived notion, but I was happy that, you know, people who were just denial denialists about this saying like, there's no way any of this could have happened. Like after they read this, they were like, Oh, I understand now. And one conversation I had with um, somebody from the 2010s, which is, you know, my era there. Um, he's from the early 2010s. He, uh, in his time, he described a lot of the hazing as actually being, in his opinion, it was optional. He said that, you know, he said no to the naked pull-ups and, you know, the naked rope swing and things like that. He said no to those activities because he wasn't comfortable with it. And he was like, I felt like I was able to do that. But somebody else from his same team said that if you said no, it set you apart. So that's just an example again of like two people on the same team can have an entirely different interpretation of the same activity. And the first player who said no, at the end of our conversation, you know, he was like, he was like, I can see how, I can see the through lines between, you know, naked pull-ups and naked rope swing and dry humping. He's like, I can see how that occurred like I can, I can see how those activities evolved into running which is what is the most serious allegation being described now and then he sort of reflected and was like I wonder if me he didn't participate in naked pull-ups but he didn't stop them he never said he was uncomfortable with it he just kind of kept that to himself and said I don't want to do it but he didn't you know take it any further and he's like I laughed at those like I laughed at naked pull-ups he's like I now I'm thinking about my own behavior and like how my like lack of intervening led to where we are now. So I thought that was a really interesting thought. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of echoing what, what Scuzz was alluding to and what you're taking us through. I mean, we sort of got the feeling working through the story of, and, and again, like this is, you know, so we should step back and say, right. I mean, it was titled how a hazing culture evolved at Northwestern's camp Kenosha. There's a significance to ritual. Um, It's on the athletic for anyone who hasn't read it or doesn't 
have a subscription to The Athletic. I mean, I, I think we think that this is so far there has been one great piece of professional long form journalism about this story. And it's this piece and the space and the way that, that you that you take us through. I mean, it, it's like we saying we got this feeling of almost like a snowball rolling downhill. So like you say, like these ideas that there are these things that go far enough back where someone doesn't think it's a joke and and. But now someone's like reflecting on it and thinking, hey, these things might have planted seeds for something that came later. And then, you know, you have someone and I I'm finding it right now. But I mean, you had someone in the 2010s who by that point has the wherewithal to be like, if someone were to run an an investigation on us, we're effed. And I like I'm so I mean, I was kind of amazed to that point that it's like, okay, so you're going far enough back. You're taking us through. It's so comprehensive and that's the thing too where i think like you said the the goal to be journalistically impartial and to walk through everything but when you have the space to write long form like this you're able to just include so many things that just provide a complete picture being like look we're not making a statement one way or another that you need to know this happened you need to know about rashidi wheeler and what happened here you need to know about the Randy Walker era and the way that that informed everything and just that there are all these different pieces and everything. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated. I mean, it's, it's interesting because the the issues here are so weighty, but it's almost like from a journalistic perspective, there's almost like an interesting thing for us that I'm like, it's at least it's, it's something interesting to talk about that is not the weight of everything that we've had to be talking about for the past couple of weeks, which is, the uniqueness of Northwestern's position to this relative to journalism. You mentioned the daily Northwestern story and obviously the power of student journalism here, but there's also this really unique thing you've almost, you've alluded to relative to professional journalists with, you know, in Northwestern and the fact that so, so much of the mechanics of this story came about because you're, you know, you kind of have a relationship with a certain era at Northwestern. Brian has a relationship with a certain era at Northwestern. And that kind of allows you to start putting the pieces together on a story like this. And, you know, we can even extend beyond. I mean, obviously, the probably the single biggest newsbreaker in the story has been Adam Rittenberg, who was at Northwestern at the time that we were. And I'm wondering, you know, you talked about the the importance of journalistic impartiality, but I'm I'm just curious. It's such a unique position relative to Northwestern sports and Northwestern journalism relative to professional journalists. And I'm just curious, like, are you having a lot of discussions irrespective of the research of this story with other Northwestern journalists, you know, whether or not they're covering this? Yeah. um, I think, yeah, we've had a lot of conversations about it. I think, you know, internally at the athletic and then also not so much really with, I haven't really had that many conversations with, um, you know, other Medill people, it's more like fellow athletes um, who were there at the same time as me, or even like, you know, some of my cheerleading peers, they're like, oh my God, what is going on? And then, um, you know, I know a few softball players who were my year and now that like softball is being talked about, they're like, what the heck is happening? And, you know, we're all kind of like, oh my God, this is like really escalating quickly. Um, So yeah, my conversations, I think mostly have been with um, either like, co-workers who are also Northwestern alumni um, or more of like student athletes who were, you know, friends of mine from the same, um, you know, era. What I'm curious, like when you and Brian got together and you 
you know, you started piecing this story together. Um, again, like we, we kind of talked about it from our perspective being like, oh, there's such a, a, a narrative here of something maybe starting in a way that some people doesn't, doesn't seem, might seem small, but then escalating and escalating and reaching a, you know, a, a point of no return, so to speak. That's our view on it. But I'm curious, as you were researching the story and, and talking to all of these players, were there any things that, you know, really surprised you or jumped out to you during the reporting of this? Yeah, I think like two things mainly. Um, well, a few things. Uh, the first is like in the 90s, I think we talked to six players from the 90s. Um, so that felt like a big enough number to to say, okay, this is what was prob- what was going on, you know, according to six players um, from the 90s era, Fitzgerald teams. Um, but in that era, it was like described to me as um, activities where, you know, there was a group of offensive linemen that called themselves the sisters, um, which some people now have pointed out might be like a Shawshank Redemption reference, which I haven't even seen that movie. So that didn't occur to me at all in the reporting. Like I wouldn't even have made that connection. And the people who told me they were called the sisters, like didn't know why they were called the sisters. So I don't have enough information to like definitively say that, but if it is, that would be like another, a concerning nickname. Um, but there was an, a group of offensive linemen that called themselves the sisters and they, it was described to me that they like to be naked all the time, like too much in the locker room. Like obviously you're going to be naked to some extent in the locker room, but you know, the players I talked to said they were like naked for like excessive nakedness, I think is, was the quote that, um, you know, one of the players I spoke to said. So that was something that was happening. And, and sometimes some of them would do like naked cartwheels to try to make the freshmen uncomfortable because the freshmen, you know, haven't been in a, a situation. And this is still true today. Like if you're coming into college as a freshman, like most of the time your high school football team like doesn't even have showers necessarily. So you're like going home to shower. Like you're not in a scenario where you're showering with other men. And so that can be a really jarring experience as, as these players told me, like that's like really uncomfortable for freshmen coming in and the upperclassmen would play on that and like make them feel more uncomfortable um, by doing naked cartwheels or by standing next to them naked, like too close to them naked or by, you know, one player described to me, like just walking from his locker in Kenosha to the showers. He was like, it was a really long walk. It felt like such a long walk in the offensive linemen were like standing near the entrance to the showers, like commenting on everyone's, you know, male body parts. So can I interject real quick, Caitlin? I just, I want to, I want to highlight what you said there of, of how different this experience was for a lot of players from high school, because I, I think the, the typical fans perspective, and we've heard from friends, um, listeners of the podcast, other like folks who played high school sports, maybe, maybe dabbled in, in club sports in college that like clearly, clearly that was not their experience that, that whatever they brought from high school to college was of a, I don't know, of a similar ilk. Um, but I think that is such an important point that so many players that come to play college football, their high school experience was dramatically different in terms of what they were exposed to. And just, just being in that environment sets sets a um a feeling of of discomfort in 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 the ways you described yeah so yeah and so most of them said that where they were like just extremely uncomfortable and so that was kind of what was going on in the 90s is just everyone was very clear about there was no um naked touching it was just like 
I'm going to make you uncomfortable by being naked near you in a way that's like not normal, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't ever touching. And that's a line that a lot of players draw is like, don't touch me basically. Like that's sort of the, um, that's sort of the hard line of what's appropriate and what's not. And a lot of the players that I spoke to former players and a lot of their, um, opinions, it's like the line of touching. So in the nineties, um, people were very clear to say there was no touching and a few people even said like, you know, if somebody went too far in their jokes, somebody, you know, another upper class one would step in and be like, Hey, knock it off. You know, there seemed to have been some boundaries in the nineties. And then when you get to the early two thousands, something changed. Um, and that's when the car wash began. And that's obviously when Randy Walker, um, took over as the head coach from Gary Barnett. Um, so at some point the car wash began and that was when the um, started off as offensive linemen. And then I think it evolved into more than just offensive linemen doing it, but they would form a, a gauntlet in the entrance, the only way in and out of the showers at Kenosha and the underclassmen um, would have to, you know, go walk through them. And that would require touching them because it was such a narrow space. So that started happening in the early 2000s. And like Rico Lamite, who we talked to, who at the time was Rico Tarver, I did hear from several people who were like, he doesn't exist. And I'm like, yes, he does. He changed his last name um, when he, <laughs> he became, he changed his last name like two years ago. He actually has a TED talk about it, which is really fascinating. But anyways, he changed his last name, but he was a real player. He was on the team for four seasons. So he knows, um, he said he would not shower uh, on the days they were doing the car wash because he was so uncomfortable by it. And he didn't want to have to fight people. And he said, there were players who would get in physical fights over this to try to get people not to touch them. They're like, literally, I will fight you in these showers. So, and that was something that actually popped up in the lawsuit filed today by Lloyd Yates. He described people, players, um, just deciding not to shower that day or like waiting until everyone was done and then going into the shower when it was safe again. Um, and he also described players fighting. So those are all very similar to like what was happening in, in the early 2000s. So we're talking about 20 years here. So that surprised me. And actually, um, one of the reasons I wanted to really report this is because when I was there, um, I remember hearing about the car wash from football players uh, when I was a student. So I don't remember exactly who told it to me. I've been trying to like unearth that memory, but I, I can't really. But I know that it came from football players and I know that I told it. I know that I know it because one of my friends texted me as soon as the Daily Northwestern story came out and he was like, I can't believe they didn't find any past instances of hazing in this article because you told me about this like 10 years ago in 2012. And I'm like, oh my God, you're right. Because I, I recognized the phrase car wash immediately. And I was like, oh my God, I knew about some of this, but I didn't know about all of it. And at the time, 10 years ago, it was like a funny joke. Um, you know, nobody was just telling me about it being like horrified and saying like, oh my God, I'm being hazed. You know, it was like, it was told as like something funny and it was clearly shocking even at the time, but it was like, oh my God, can you believe what the football team is doing? Like it was sort of like that type of thing. And obviously now 10 years later, you know, we have different definitions of like what hazing is and what's appropriate and what's not. And it sounds really bad now, um, sounds worse than it did then. So I, that's why I wanted to ask questions about this because I'm like, well, what else was going on when I was there that I didn't know about? Or, you know, that maybe I did hear about and just like didn't realize. So um, that was really interesting that I 
had recognized that in the story. And Rico actually, um, you know, he's quoted at the bottom of the story when he read the Daily Northwestern article, he said his his group chat with former teammates was very um, jokey about it at first before they read the Daily Northwestern story. I think some of them were sort of saying like, oh, these kids are soft these days, you know, that that kind of sentiment. And then he said when they read the Daily Northwestern article and they read about the car wash, he was like, oh my God, I can't believe this is still happening. You know, 20 years later, he was just shocked that it was still going on. So that was really interesting. And then I think the last thing that I think is like probably the, just the newsiest part of this story was that we had three players tell us that at Kenosha in the locker room, assistant coaches, the coaching staff in general would regularly like go in there. And when they did, they would, the players would chant the naked pull-ups chant at them, which was, you know, not that creative. It was just like naked pull-ups. They would chant that at the coaches. And so then two of those players specifically remembered uh, Pat Fitzgerald getting chanted naked pull-ups at. So that was really interesting to me. I thought that was probably the newsiest part of it because we still don't know exactly what Pat Fitzgerald knew to what extent of the hazing he really knew about um, and what people told him. But now we know that he, according to two players who remember this, he heard the naked pull-ups chant. There's a quote you have in here, Kaylin, toward the end of the article um, about uh, from Fitz um, speaking at Big, Big Ten Media Days about culture and um, leadership. And he talks about, I think if you have the right people in the room, well, I'm sorry, if you've got, I think if you have the right people in, you've got the right type of environment, you've got the right guys, they're going to own your, your program. And that's got to come from the locker room out. And I think that that captures to me what happened in that moment when he walked through the locker room and, and that was chanted at him. And, and it, it was a, a trust and a belief in the types of players that had, had, that were in that locker room and, and the types of um, players that were, were at Northwestern and, and you know, whether, whether he knew or not, it just like, for me, it really crystallized how this could come to be. And I think you, you know, uh, President Schill has said a couple times about, you know, Fitz owned this culture and that like the, the, the culture was his, he's, he's, he's been owning it for 15 years and, and this was a miss whether he knew about it or not. Um, and that, to me, that was the culmination, I think really of, of, of everything that you presented in the article of, of, um, not just how it, how it transpired in the through lines from, you know, the early nineties to now, but also the, the perspective and, and the philosophy that allowed it, um, to happen. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think, um, you know, I'm looking at one quote in the story now, which I thought was really interesting too, is like, this is a player from the 2010s. Um, and when he read the Daily Northwestern story, he was, he witnessed running. So he knew that running was happening in his time, but he saw that, um, you know, he saw that they had, in the Daily Northwestern story, that they had brought it to campus outside of Kenosha for runs giving and runs miss. And his quote was, the classes after us took this all to a whole nother level and brought it to campus, which was like, these dudes are effing crazy. So I thought that was interesting too, because it was another player who had seen a lot of this go down, had witnessed it in his time. And he was like, what I'm reading now is even worse. Um, and I think too, like the lawsuit today that came out 
did have more information about what coaches knew. And it actually claimed, um, it actually claimed today that there were two assistant coaches that got ran themselves, which is really a shocking allegation because it described one assistant coach. I think it said in the spring of 2015, it was either the fall of 2015 or the spring of 2016. The article didn't clarify. It said one or the other. And it said, or the lawsuit didn't clarify. It said one or the other. And it said that a, a strength and conditioning coach got ran by Northwestern football players in front of the entire team and coaching staff on the field, like after a practice one day. And that was shocking to me because that really explains to me, number one, like, okay, so if, if that allegation is true, they're saying that Pat Fitzgerald saw that, saw a coach get dry humped by his own players. And so that's kind of crazy to me. And it also explains a lot why so many of these players didn't feel like they could tell anyone about it because if your teammates are dry humping a coach like who are you gonna is a coach gonna take you seriously if the coach just like did I don't know if the coach had it happen to him and like maybe is I don't know if that means they're condoning it or what but like they're part of it right so well well there's this weird paradox right because on one hand you're totally right but on the other hand, it reinforces something that you talked about earlier, which is the idea that far from being a question of whether it happened or not or didn't happen, it wasn't even really that much of a secret. Like you knew about it while you were a student at Northwestern and that uh, – so like you know, two weeks ago on the pod, I talked about a personal story of an experience I had with hazing in high school and one of the one of the key takeaways being as I think with so many of these things that like there was no one who like leaked it it was just known it was known because it just leaked out from the locker room to all of these different places and that there were so many of these things and I almost feel like paradoxically I look at something like the fact that a coach would be run and be like that to me says on one hand you're right you feel like there are guys who can't who who can't discuss it because it's so universally accepted. But then on the other hand, it's it's almost proof that it is so universally accepted, right? That it's like far be it from coaches putting the the smackdown on this. You actually have coaches who feel like this is, hey, this is just something that's going on that, you know, I'll participate in. Right. And like the university has been like very clear about, well, it, and I, maybe it's, maybe I'm conflating this. It, maybe it was Pat Fitzgerald's lawyer statement I don't know. Somebody's statement was like 99% of the players were happy on their surveys or something. Right. <laughs> like, I think that was past lawyer, I, I believe, but it literally, literally cited 99% like happiness rate on their student athlete surveys. And I know that like Fitzgerald's camp has tried to really make it known that he was anti-hazing and he would talk about how hazing isn't okay. And you know, he did a video about it once and like this was a message that he would share with players regularly. And I believe all of that. I do. But it's like you read this in the lawsuit and it's like something is not adding up. So I think like the truth might be that, you know, as you kind of just said, like they this didn't register as hazing for some reason to the staff members because it was just so ingrained in the team culture. And there was even one part of the lawsuit that like, 
was actually really disturbing to me that really has nothing to do with quote unquote hazing activities, but Simba Short, who was only on the team for one year, he was, he had a lot of injuries. I think he was on the team in 2015. Um, he had a lot of injuries, so he medically retired the following year. He said he was referred to as an eater and shitter because he wasn't contributing to anything on the field. So he said that the coaching staff called those players who were injured all the time eaters and shitters because all they would do is eat the food and like consume the resources without contributing to the team in any tangible way. Um, and that was like really disturbing to me. Uh, and I think that like that, if that's true, if that's like a term that was being used under Pat Fitzgerald's culture, I mean, that's like so, so disturbing um, that like you would refer to players in that way. And like, if that was something that was normal within the culture, then again, that just sort of contributes to this overall culture that was, I think the word toxic is kind of overused, but like, you know, that was, that was toxic in many ways. I mean, I think we're so glad you brought up short because this has been his particular experience as it's come out through this lawsuit has been one of the more just I mean, just heartbreaking things to read about this. And I think your your point talking about it relative to the injuries, it almost made me think of something relative to, I mean, obviously we know you have so much NFL reporting experience. Um, but I think for a lot of us who are not, who don't have that kind of ability to, to see into the culture the way you do, like hard knocks for us is like as close as we're going to get, right? It's like that picture that the NFL creates. And I think of a lot of past – I was thinking about this when I was thinking about Simba Short because you'll always have these situations where it's not hazing, but they'll take all the rookies and they'll be like, hey, get up and sing your fight song or do like a dance in front of everybody or something like that. And I always had a problem watching those things because it would be like, well, look, this guy's going up and we're acting as if this is like a bonding thing that's like you know, he's being initiated into a fraternity. A lot of these guys are going to get cut within days. And – this idea that, oh, hey, new guy, like, hey, Rook, like, you're going to do this. And it's like, this this is a cutthroat business. This guy's going to be – he, he's not going to be here. And that will be his only memory was this. And that short – for us, what is so heartbreaking is that all of these things that so many people ascribe to, hey, this is something just freshmen have to go through, that's Short's experience. That's the totality of his experience. He was just this, and then that was the end of his career, um, and it was it was just so sad. I mean, I you were so you were you were at the press conference today. We were curious, you know, what your other takeaways from that conference were. Yeah, I mean, I think it's Lloyd Yates is the plaintiff in this lawsuit. He was a former quarterback at Northwestern, um, twenty fifteen to twenty eighteen, I believe, and um, he is the only former player to put his name on a lawsuit. There's three other lawsuits right now that are all anonymous players. And those lawsuits are filed by the other law firm and they're not very detailed. They pretty much just took, it seems like they took things from uh, articles like the Daily Northwestern story that had already been published, um, but they don't really tell any specific story. And like usually with a lawsuit, you'll have like a story in it that you're following, um, almost like a journalism article, but uh, written a little bit differently, but so Lloyd's actually does have that story and it quotes Simba, it quotes Warren Long, um, and the attorney for them, Ben Crump said that he will be filing 
more lawsuits for the individual players who are also quoted in Lloyd's. And there were two unnamed players, John Doe one and John Doe two, and um, they're anonymous for now, but they're also former players. And John Doe one had a really disturbing and alarming, um, well, actually he witnessed it, I believe. It, it didn't happen to him, but he, John Doe one and um, Lloyd heard about, Lloyd heard about this incident, but John Doe one witnessed it. And it was another freshman. Um, they don't name the player and they say it was a freshman in 2015. And uh, the upperclassman, the lawsuit says the upperclassman thought he was um, too confident, overconfident or something. So they felt like they needed to run him. And so this was during the season. And so they took him, it says 10 to 15 players like carried this freshman who was naked into the showers. And then they took him to the cold tub and they dunked him head first into the cold tub and then ran him while he was dunked underwater. This is what the lawsuit says. And it says in the lawsuit that then Simba was like so traumatized by watching that, that he went and like hid in a closet, I believe is what it said. And then it said when the player was, um, when the incident was over, the player was struggling to breathe, like physically struggling to breathe. And that was really disturbing because that was like the first um, incident described that like actually uh, showed like physical harm. Um, so that was really kind of disturbing to read that. And then, you know, Lloyd, as I mentioned earlier, like, um, you know, he said that two assistant coaches got ran and then in the lawsuit, they made a bunch of other points about, you know, um, coaches saying to the players after like a loud night of running and hazing at Kenosha, they would say like, you know, you guys need to quiet down. Like, so there was sort of evidence in this lawsuit that coaches heard something. And then they also said that the strength coaches organized a belly flop contest where the freshman had to belly flop into a pool. And if you lost, the punishment was running. And if you didn't want to participate, you were also threatened to get ran. Um, and then John Doe one had an interesting story in the lawsuit. He said that he heard about the um, running when he was, you know, a freshman coming into these off season workouts that are very much player led because the coaches can only have limited part uh, limited involvement with players during the off season. And so the upperclassmen were like discussing running, but they didn't say exactly what would happen. So John Doe one made it known. Uh, you guys are not going to do that to me. He's like, I'm not, this is not, I'm not down for that. I'm not participating in that. And so then he, the lawsuit says the upperclassmen like made him a number one target. And when they got to Kenosha, they like, it says five or six of them dragged him out of his dorm room into the common area where it said there were 50 teammates standing there. Like, I don't know. I didn't, doesn't say if all 50 of them ran him. Um, it doesn't clarify that, but it says there was like 50 teammates like waiting to watch him get ran. So that was really a vivid picture of running that we hadn't really read yet and was very disturbing. It, to me, that reinforces something that I feel like another super important thing that came out through the context of all of these interviews that you did in your article is there are so many people who, who like to fall back on, hey, locker room culture, guys will be guys, like et cetera, et cetera. But every single one of those people, whether they're in a locker room or not, 
knows at least one guy, and you know what, if they're on a football team, they probably know 30, who are like, don't effing touch me. Do not touch me. I will kick your ass. And the idea that we all know these people and have no trouble knowing, be like, that guy is so anti you touching him, he will fight you if you try to do it. And then that takes you to two different places. Number one, what you just talked about with John Doe, number one, which is like, if you know there is someone like that and you make that person a target, there's no way that's not turning violent. You're taking someone who you know will literally fight you if you touch them. And then you're specifically going to grab that person. That's turning violent. But then the other side of it is it makes you like thinking of like short or anybody else or being like, what about all of the guys who care enough? They care just as much as that guy who will fight you, but they're not the kind of guy who would fight you or they feel the pressure or they feel like if I don't go, if I don't do X, Y, or Z, I'm not going to end like the damage that's being done to those people. I was, I was curious specifically with the ice bath detail, which we read today and was horrific. Given that you travel in NFL circles and you're getting prepared to do training camp, I was wondering in my head, my head went to the Jason Pierre, Paul Prince, um, uh, now I'm blanking on his last name. Um, Prince Amukamara. Amukamara situation, um, which I want to say happened back in oh, 2011 or 2012, where there was the video of Jason Pierre-Paul dunking Prince Amukamara into the, the ice tub. Um, and this this seems like a way worse version of that. But I think one of the reasons that became such a big event was because of how in the video there was an air of menace to it. And that, that I guess, a long way of asking, I mean, I'm one of the things we were curious about is you have such deep experience in the NFL. In the NFL, how is hazing viewed? Is it multifaceted? Is it just like, like, to the extent that you have encountered this issue in the professional ranks, like, how is it, how is it viewed? Uh, I can say just from the conversations that I've had for this story, uh, there were some people who played in the NFL, and it's not a thing in the NFL, from my understanding. Um, aside from what you see on Hard Knocks, like the rookie show that you already mentioned earlier, um, and you know sometimes rookies will have to take vets out to dinner and pay for their dinner, which doesn't make sense because they make no money. But that will happen um, where you might make your rookie offensive lineman take the whole position group out to dinner or something like. Things like that might happen, um, but it is not like anything physical from what I understand. I think that the Prince of Mukamara, I think that's kind of an outlier. Um, I, I, The way it's been described to me recently is like, these are like men in the NFL. Like they really are not, nobody has time for that. You know, like nobody is, no, I mean, they're going home to their families, right? Like you're, if you're not, in the facility, like doing work on your body or, um, you know, eating or watching film, like you're not doing anything else there. You're leaving. So the way that's how I understand it, at least. And there's very few NFL teams that still go away to training camp, which I think is probably also a reason why there's less of it um, in the NFL. Um, Cause most teams are just staying at their own facilities now and like, 
sometimes players will stay in a hotel, but a lot of times they, they're staying at their own homes. So, yeah, I mean, I don't get the sense that this is a big thing in the NFL. I think the way it's been described to me is like, these are like men, <laughs> like they're not, they're not in that phase of life where like, this is a fun thing to do anymore. As, as you know, thinking back to, you know, what we're talking about as like fans trying to digest all this and trying to wrap our heads around, you know, how could this happen? And, you know, you see some people saying, you know, like, yeah, this is boys being boys or, you know, you'd be ridiculous to think this doesn't happen everywhere. Or, you know, from the flip side is, you know, how, you know, how could this have happened at all? Or, you know, there, there's so many different ways to, to try to wrap your head around that. How, like, as Northwestern fans moving forward into the season that starts in like a month and there's still media days are coming up this week. And you know, you've got, you've got three guys and a brand new interim head coach who's been on campus for six months who are about to go to Indianapolis and not get any questions about football. How, how do we as fans try to, you know, wrap our heads around this and and move forward. Yeah. um, I don't know how to answer that question. I am just like, like with the stuff that came out about coaches today, um, I mean, uh, Matt McPherson was named in this lawsuit again, um, but they were citing the USA Today report. So it wasn't really there was a little bit of new information about him. It was like a weird, it was a creepy anecdote about um, uh, one of the, I can't remember which player uh, said this in the lawsuit, but one of the- John players, Doe number two. Yeah, I was okay. gonna say they, didn't, they did not name him. Yeah, so John Doe two said that like McPherson had asked him who his girlfriend was. And then when he told him, like McPherson went on Facebook and looked up her profile and then made like weird, comments about their sex life and that made the player uncomfortable. So, I mean, I, this whole time I've been wondering why only Pat Fitzgerald was fired. Um, when, you know, aside from David Braun, I don't know who else is like brand new on this coaching so, staff. Uh, uh, the wide receiver coach. It's actually, um, it's actually a lot. It's, it's Armand Benz. Yeah. Running back, running backs, coach, wide receiver coach, um, Defensive line coach, okay. DC, and then DC. Um, defensive backs and as two, well. And Mar- two of our longest tenured coaches were already relieved at the end of this past season. So yeah, but but there are several. McPherson being one of the most notable, and then McGarrigal, who was obviously a player um, in the you know in the mid aughts, right? And like the strength and conditioning staff was mentioned in this lawsuit as well so like you know I guess I have been I've been surprised that no one else has been eliminated from this coaching staff and I think that before we get to the season that will happen um I think there will be more coaching staff turnover so that's something that I'm gonna keep an eye on and I just wonder like I tried to ask this question at the press conference today but they didn't answer it unsurprisingly because the lawyers are really, um, really great at not saying anything in in this case. Um, I tried to ask them like these lawyers, you know, they say they've talked to, you know, a bunch of Northwestern football players and 
you know, more than we know that they've talked to, obviously, more than the four that were named in the, or mentioned in this lawsuit. But they said, you know, they mentioned all these interviews. So I was like, did you find in your own investigations that any of the people you spoke to, like, also spoke to the university? Because we don't know anything really about the university investigation, except that, what was it, 11 players said there was hazing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's, there's a few specifics that they gave us, but we don't really know much about it. And I... I'm wondering right now, like, if the, I mean, the university re- investigation found that there was hazing, like they substantiated that, you know, the whistleblowers hazing allegations, but I'm wondering if they knew or had uncovered the level of coaching involvement, because if they had, and there was still only a two week suspension, I mean, that would be shocking to me. And then if they didn't uncover it, you know, it was sort of a, I don't want to say fake investigation, but like the investigation did not do a very good job if they didn't get to the root of like coaches involvement in this. Yeah. yeah. What Like, were there no follow-up questions? Cause it, it seems like it hasn't taken a lot of follow-up questions to get to that point of view. Right. Like, right. Like I spent a week and I had two players telling me that it's her naked pull-up chant. I mean, this was a six-month investigation. So I would hope that they had at least heard that as well. And then if they heard that, then they should have gotten more. Can, can I – so kind of a, a related question. Um, and you alluded to these kind of things when you talked about the story off the top, right? And that <clears throat> focusing so hard on journalistic impartiality – because of your connection to this. And when we talk about this athletic department and we talk about, you know, all the issues that are going on, there's a separate discussion that we're not even going to get into, but suffice to say, it goes back two years, right? And that these are major athletic department issues that, you know, that there was a major, major issue two years ago that I think as a former cheerleader, right, obviously it had to be very personal for you, um, involved Northwestern. And, I, you know, I, I, what has it been like for you over this stretch of time as a journalist wanting to cover these things, also having these issues be so clearly personal for you? Um, what kind of challenges does that, does that present and how do you work through that? Yeah, I think it's actually a good way to like cope with it because you're able to sort of like by talking to other people kind of like remove yourself and almost like look at it in the scientific way of like what happened here you know like I can just like start asking all the questions that I have instead of just like you know getting mad about them I'm like well let me just go like talk to people and like see what what went on you know and like I've had a lot of conversations with people who love Pat Fitzgerald and like Pat Fitzgerald was like a hero to me when I was there. So like, I totally understand where they're coming from and why they have this like complete blind spot of like, this man can do no wrong. And there's no way that anything bad could have ever happened on any team that he was involved in. Like, I understand why people think that because he is a good person in a lot of ways and he was great for Northwestern in so many ways. And so I can, 
have empathy for them and like I know where they're coming from because like I felt that way as well but when you talk to enough people because like literally the first call that I made for this was somebody who got ran and I'm like okay it's true you know what I mean like I was like all right because I did not doubt the Daily Northwestern I did not doubt the whistleblower but I was like well how you know how, how many guys was this really happening to and so the first person that I called was like, yeah, I got ran as a freshman. And so then I was like, all right, like, you know, this is, a, I mean, it's true. Like there's enough people like Lloyd's Lloyd Yates, dad at the press conference today, he made a point where he was like, you know, one data point, he's a doctor. I don't know what kind of doctor he is, but he was like, one data point is interesting. He's like two data points, you know, raises a question three, you know, you start making a pattern for statistically significant, you know? So like when the first call I made was somebody who literally opened the conversation by saying, yeah, all of that was true in the daily Northwestern. I was like, okay, you know, like this, is, <laughs> I mean, so I'm like, all right. So then I think from that point on, I was able to sort of like emotionally remove myself because I was like, look, whether I like it or not, like this stuff was happening. And there's certainly enough people now who have either come forward with their name or not that I don't think it's a question anymore whether there was hazing at Northwestern. Like, I'm pretty sure we can all agree that there was. Um, now the questions that are left are just how much did the coaches know about, you know, did, did they have enough information to act on things? Seems like they probably did from what we know now, but I think there's still questions about that. Um, yeah, but I think I was able to sort of emotionally remove myself from it because right off the bat, it was like, okay, someone that I trust and like think would not be lying to me has said that all of that was true. Um, so then I was like, okay, let me start calling people. And like, I was actually surprised how many people did talk for this story because I thought everyone would be like, I'm hanging up. Nope, like not going there. Um, but the interesting thing is I never got, aside from um, aside from the one player who got ran, who I just mentioned, I didn't really have the perspective of, of a player who like also then hazed somebody else. And I think that's because those people like didn't want to talk to me, which makes sense. You know, I, that, that, if there was a hole in of like the perspective of somebody who got hazed and then hazed. And like Lloyd Yates said today in his press conference, like they didn't, they specifically did not name any Northwestern football players who did the hazing. And the reason for that is because Lloyd said, we're all victims. Like even the perpetrators, the reason they did that is because they got hazed and that was part of a culture and they're just trying to fit in. So I thought that was a really interesting point because it, I mean, it's, it's it's true like they're all you can't really single out one player because like this is the culture that they came up in so they're all part of it that that quote really that in your article today really resonated with me and 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 it it underscores the the leadership failure and 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 not just pat fitzgerald but the the broader department and university especially when you when you you know zoom zoom back and take in what's been happening with baseball and volleyball and potentially softball and others like, like there's a there, there's a 
cultural problem that's broader than Kenosha and broader than football. Um, you know, it, it, it ties into the, the, the way that athletics is held accountable and, and the way Northwestern handles crises, which is clearly yeah. not, not well as we've learned these past few years. But, um, I did, I like that, that quote from, from Yates was, um, very impactful and, 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 uh, I, I think an important reflection that, that this is not a bad person doing a bad thing, right? The, these are by all accounts, uh, a collection of, of really smart, talented individuals that were put into a culture that, that enabled bad behavior. And other people have said this, but you know, good, good people can do bad things or, or, or can have blind spots or, or can, can make mistakes. They're fallible, et cetera. And I, I think it's, um, it's, it's going to be, I don't know that that, inf- that, that, that information won't come out. Um, if, and when it does, it's going to be really hard to, to hear that for a lot of different parties. But, um, I think it's, I think it is an important, that, that, that concept that not just the hazed, but the hazers that are part of this culture are, 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 are impacted maybe in ways that they don't even realize. Um, it's an important thing for us all to remember. Yeah. I think probably a lot of them are like processing right now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm like, I wish I could have gotten that perspective, but I understand why I didn't <laughs> like, it makes sense. Well, you did say one, you know, one, one person who was talking to you talked about, you know, he, he had opted out right from, from the things and felt like he could do that, but then felt like, he, like, but I laughed and I didn't stop it. And, you know, was starting to question his own behavior. I'm sure I, I, I imagine that perspective is, is to your point being processed in, in a whole litany of different ways, by a lot, of, a lot of different people. Yeah. I just know there was a ton of, you know, group chats going on people. I mean, I think conversations got heated between former teammates because there was a lot of like not understanding someone else's point of view that was going on. And so, um, you know, it was nice. Like I talked to Dom price who is an NFL agent and uh, was on the early two thousands teams. And he was like, very much like you could tell he was like, you know, I didn't, he didn't feel like he had ever been hazed, but he was like, I'm trying to keep an open mind. Uh, Cause I did see these things happening, but I just thought they were optional. But he was like, I'm trying to keep an open mind because I don't know how other people felt about it or how they feel about it now. Like, he's like, I didn't think it was a problem for anybody else, but, you know, I can't say that for sure. We're talking, we've been talking over the past couple of weeks too, to to your point and to Scuzz's point is trying to, the idea of maintaining grace to your fellow Northwestern community member because to your point lest we forget this is all two and a half weeks old like like we're not even close to any of us like having fully emotionally processed this and that there were probably there may be guys even whose views have evolved even since they talked to you or certainly between when they first heard and when they talked to you i mean it's in the in the laugh to keep from crying category or as sam alluded to it off the top gallows humor there was the one part from the from the story where someone was talking about if you if you don't go to parties and you don't go to the keg you're not going to fit and i'm like look any any lock any culture that's prioritizing trips to the keg is not a winning culture on this one there's there's that's that's for the you younger listeners that's a 
you, you're just, they won't even you'll know. never know how good you have it now that the keg is not your only option. Let me just put yeah. it that way. Um, we just strictly from, I think for us, just, I guess maybe because two of us are Medill guys and, and we just care about this from a logistical perspective, you've been covering this issue. Like you said, you, I mean, wrote this amazing bit of long form journalism and then you were at the press conference today, but I mean, you're an NFL reporter, you're headed to training camp. How are you balancing these things going forward as the, as we head into NFL season? Uh, I'm really not because I have zero training camp ideas and nothing planned. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go to Bears camp on Wednesday just because I don't really have to make a plan to go there. I can just drive there in like 45 minutes. So I'm going to go to Bears camp Wednesday, talk to a couple guys. I think I'm going to go to the Packers. I thought I was going to go Friday, but it turns out they're not practicing Friday. So um, possibly Saturday Packers. Um yeah, but really I've done I've done no amount of thinking about this because I was like, I really want to do this Northwestern story first. And I'm honestly still chasing a few things as it relates to Northwestern football. So I feel like I'm half in on the NFL right now and like half out and like, that's fine. Um, because our reporting on this did very well, like traffic wise. So like, this is something that people want to know about and like our you know it's a big story and I think personally I'm like I don't know an NFL story that is as interesting as this one to me right now so um yeah I don't really know we'll we'll find out maybe something interesting will happen at Bears camp on Wednesday and then I'll have something else to say but as of right now I've been pretty much tunnel vision on this for like the last for basically all of July and I was going to spend July planning my training camp but that never happened we were going to spend July doing lighthearted Big Ten previews of the other teams in the. <laughs> I mean, have they actually said they're going to Big Ten Media Days? Like, is Northwestern really going? I keep wondering that. I, I mean, and I, and I I was thinking about President this. Schill what, was the press President today? Schill today to the Daily heavily implied that Derek Gregg will be very front facing this coming week relative to Big Ten Media Days. That was he said that but, I. I am amazed. We, I'll believe it when I see it. But that's what he said. I kind yeah. of want to go now. Can I? Is it too late to get credentials? <laughs> <laughs> I, I doubt it. <laughs> Honestly, like I could go to Colts camp. Is it in Indianapolis? Um, I mean, question or yeah, Chicago? It's at Lucas Oil. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I could just go to the yeah. Colts and then also go to this. Yes, do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say your 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 boss would probably would probably be uh, be good with that too. Um, I was gonna ask. So this is a little bit of a deviation from where we just were, but like um, as as you talk about like what's gonna come, and I know Sam was asking earlier about the fan perspective. I'm I'm curious about campus, and I, I don't know if the press conference today was on on campus, but I have to think that like not, not it's not just you know football that gets started in a matter of weeks, but volleyball gets started in a matter of weeks. Um, you know, the, the, the other named sports, um, don't start until the spring, but, um, I have to think that there's a, like, I can't imagine what the feeling is like in the athletic complexes right now and how, um, current students and, and, and coaches, uh, wh whether they're part of these teams or not are, are affected. Do you, do you have any sense of, of, 
what that atmosphere is like right now? Um, I don't know. But like at the press conference today, the Ben Crump mentioned he's talked to former mascots. So apparently it's extending all the way to wow. um, Willie the Wildcat now, wow. which I don't mean to laugh at that, but I'm like, oh my God. Um, I mean, again, it's it's laugh to keep from crying. I just, yeah. we're just all, we're all just in it. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm like genuinely concerned that we're just going to go the way of you, Chicago. Um, just because at this point, there's now so many sports involved and they're already doing the review to see whether athletics fits into the academic mission, I think is how it was phrased. So that is concerning to me. Like that sounds like we're ending sports here to me. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's dark. It's bleak. We, <laughs> I mean, we this, hope it this does. This is a, this is a cynical take, but I, I've thought about this a couple of times because there, there are a lot of, of fans that have called for called for Northwestern to just shut it down and, figure things out and you know take a year off etc and the reality like the cynical reality is that there's just too much money on the table to do that and 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 i don't mean that from like a lining people's pockets standpoint but if you think about so let's think about let's talk about programs that haven't been named yet soccer and field hockey and lacrosse and basketball and a lot of the funding for that, like whether folks like it or not, it comes from the Big Ten TV contract that is focused on football. If you shut down football for this year, I guarantee like the financial, you know, ripple effect of that hits elsewhere. And so like I don't say this to defend the decision or or to say what they should or should not do. But if you're looking for a why that that's probably and- not going to happen, I, I like that would be the why. And, and there would be, you know, people, students coaches that are wholly un, un untethered to this right now um things could certainly change but that would be their their livelihood their their you know careers uh, their their college you know um standing would be completely uprooted by a decision like that so i just i i say that only because it is there's a lot of complexity and nuance that goes beyond just you know the allegations and the lawsuits et and i mean it's and to and to state the obvious, I mean, I it's an NFL reporter and three guys who made the decision over a decade ago to spend at least an hour a week talking about football. <laughs> it's like it's we all just deeply, deeply love Northwestern football and deeply love Northwestern athletics. And I'm just like, I, it's hopefully you know that love will all pull us through. But man, it's going to be a long road, and it just keeps spir- spiraling. But I mean, again, I'm like. One, I think as, as I mean, Sam and I as Medill grads, but as just all of us just deeply respecting just journalism in general. I mean, the quality of the reporting that has in any way, whether it be student reporting, but in, I mean, in your case, whether it written your work, Hamilton's work, Rittenberg's work, I just, just Northwestern student and professional journalists are doing unbelievable work on this. Um, and, and you're right at the head of that line. And we're just, I mean, again, we're grateful. Like, thank you for just doing this work because it's to have a piece like this that just takes us through and contextualizes all this. Like, I mean, it's getting a lot of us through right now. So thank you. You're welcome. And um, I'll keep competing with the other people because obviously I, I see them as my competition <laughs> as well. well and, and, and thank you for, for 
thank you for taking the time tonight. Um, you know, we're yeah. right on the verge of training camp, like you said. And uh, uh, if people want to, uh, people should be reading you. And if they're not subscribed to The Athletic, how would people do that? Um, They should go to, uh, well, I'm on Twitter still. I don't know if that's, you know, something. X. X. X now. Yeah. I, what, I have not read about that. Don't tell but, me what it is. I don't want to know. Um, I it's am still it's, on it's today's thing. Yeah. I, I noticed it, but I was like, I'm not going to. I'm not going to engage in this. Um, I am still on Twitter. It's uh, Kaylin Kaler, K-A-L-Y-N-K-A-H-L-E-R. And then, yeah, The Athletic, you can go on and subscribe. Um, you can, if you go to click on this story, it will allow you to subscribe if you're not a subscriber. It's. I just have to say real quick, Twitter plug, you have one, if not my favorite sports journalist Twitter page because of the two photos. One is you doing the icky shuffle with icky woods and the other is the kicking competition. Um, it's just, it just too, I just like makes me happy every time I look at those two pictures. It's like, I, I enjoy like going and checking out your content there, but yeah, but thank you again so much for coming on with us. Thanks guys for having me. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Simpson of the Simpson law group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Simpson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Simpson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SimpsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go cats. Oh, once again, Kaylin Kaler from the athletic, uh, amazing, amazing reporting. So grateful that she was able to jump on with us tonight. Um, it's just some awesome, awesome stuff. And it sounds like there's going to be more to come from her. So, uh, get a subscription to the athletic. It's absolutely worth it. We don't get a dime for plugging them. It's just really, really good journalism. Yeah. Per, uh, per, personal testimony. Like I, like I, I got, I, I got a subscription to Defector just to read Kalen's stuff. And I already had an athletic subscription, but I keep my athletic subscription very much to read Kalen's stuff. She, she's, she's a phenomenal reporter, y'all. And, um, uh, an, an alum and, a and, a you know, a, a strong part of the Northwestern community. And one of the, the whole things about the athletic, right. Is that you're subscribing to help subsidize meaningful journalism and meaningful yep. long form journalism. And that is exactly what this is. It is the long form piece you need to get the deep long-term perspective on this, on this story. Yeah. Someone just going deep on it with a ton of interviews and a ton of perspective. And like you said, it's very balanced. It's very thorough. Um, and it's very informative. Yeah. Not, not to pile on, but it, but it's, it's not the aggregated, you know, half thought out crap that you get at like SI. It's not whatever no AI generation. <laughs> You're not going to get, you know, spammed with videos. Like, like it is, it's legit. It's deep the polar opposite sports of sports journalism. Whatever a tweet is, this is the exact opposite. <laughs> end. Whatever, whatever a zeet is, it's the opposite of it. Yeah, right. Uh, so, something she mentioned that you know, I really kind of struck home for me is like the fact that she was able to detach that emotional part of it and like take a step back and actually report on the on the story because like you know we jumped on right after uh, Fitz was fired and like. That was 1,000% emotion. 
but even even so, you know, we I, I think we tried to not come down hard one side or the other. Or like like we said, there's so many different sides of this. But you know, the victims here, all the players who have been affected by all this, and you know, that's who you know we're really worried about, and that's who we are trying to figure out a way to lift up. So, um, but you know. For her to be able to to detach that and and do real reporting and not get caught up in the emotion and the vitriol and the back and forth and the uh, you know naming whistleblowers and you know none of that nonsense, I, I really tip my cap to her. Absolutely, and and it's it's a reflection too of the fact that if you step back, just about every journalist in that you can think of that is covering this story in a meaningful way is a Northwestern student or a Northwestern alum. There are exceptions, but if you start going down the list, it's the daily, it's inside NU, right? It's Kalen. Um, it's Adam Rittenberg. And of course you're talking about like long-term seasoned reporters in like Rittenberg's case, like he's ESPN, one of ESPN's top college football reporters, right? Um, Stu, Stu Mandel's been, been on, you know, right, this as well. Stu Mandel, exactly. And I mean, these are hard-boiled, long-time journalists all. Um, Kaylin being one, we're fortunate to be able to get her on. But that doesn't mean it's not close to home and it doesn't mean it's not personal. And for the student journalists, right, to be juggling class, well, not juggling classes right now, but to be doing all these massive groundbreaking stories in the place that they live, right? That the place that they live and sleep, they're, you know, they're going to be arriving at campus in September and they'll be there for the rest of the year. Like this is literally the place they'll be living um, is where they're writing these groundbreaking stories. It's just it's personal for all of them and they're all doing phenomenal work. And, you know, there is still so much more like, you know, we're waiting. There's so many more shoes left to drop here. Like right now we're sort of in the lawsuit stage, uh, you know, a lot of media attention, you know, being placed on, on everything. And, you know, we're, we've gotten lawsuits the past few days coming out and I, I fully expect that we're going to get more of that. Yeah. Um, we get, we, we've got the tip of the iceberg. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. And, uh, we, we mentioned the daily got to sit down with uh, president Schill uh, today. Uh, take a second and read that article. Um, it, it's, it, it ain't going to make you happy. No, yeah. it sure isn't. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 very informative. And again, we, we kind of tweeted it out when he put that out, that there were, um, that the fact that he plans at least right now to retain, um, Dr. Gregg as AD will grab the headlines, but there are many other notable things that he says, things that he says about the way he's approached it, the way that he's shifted his, his, um, approach, the way that he's, you know, been able to start to investigate the individual stories of each of the individual victims his feelings about relative to the Ryan Field renovation, um, his thoughts about, you know, Dr. Greg, well, as we alluded to with Kalen, like it, it, his role in the upcoming Big Ten media days, like there are the the daily asked good questions and they got substantive answers. So for us, I mean, we, we still need to figure out uh, what we're what we're doing moving forward. I mean, we we have heard everyone loud and clear that uh you know you're you're waiting for some previews and yeah you know, i think we can 
in a can... really in a really nice way though too thank you for all for just understanding like everyone seems to you everyone gets it right i'm you're all like we get that you guys have to be doing this it would be nice to get some previews it's like yeah, yeah thank you yeah, we're we're working on it. I mean, it. It's it's in the hopper. I mean, there's a lot a lot going. Like obviously, there's a lot going on, and there's a lot going on behind the scenes as well. So, well, well and just to be super specific about, I mean, like our, our you know, John mentioned it in, in in some of our our um, post amble conversation with Caitlin. Like, we you know, typically over the summer, we're doing what you know we think is like we're, we're doing good research, but like pretty lighthearted and, and sometimes irreverent takes on, on Northwestern's opponents. Um, that's not the appropriate tone right now. And yeah. the, like the way we typically prepare and do those things and the fun and the joy we get out of them is, is um, we, we have to take a different perspective and we just haven't quite figured out, you know, um, it's gonna just, it, 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 my point is it's going to take some mind share from us to, to like, make that adjustment um, and to focus on previewing the big 10 as a whole without kind of the Northwestern angle, just cause that's so hard to figure out right now. So um, that's, you know, that's, that's some of the why behind it, but um, I think there's, you know, it's important that we, that we be continued to talk about these, these, these Northwestern specific issues and, and calling attention to the, the, the stories that continues to develop. Um, I just, I just, I think it's important to acknowledge like what's happening and, and why it's problematic and why we think it's an, an important thing. So um, we're not trying to bury or ignore um, the football side of it, but we're just, we're not, we're not ready to talk about it yet. And, and uh, I, I, I don't know that anyone's ready to talk about it, but uh, coming up this week, there was there is Big Ten Media Day, so uh, yeah. that's definitely something to be buckle you know, up, y'all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, set your DVRs, guys. A Big Ten Network is going to be airing all of that, and that's going to be appointment watching. I think. Yeah, it's it's going to be crazy. That's what I was just saying. It's like who, as we think about any future podcast, who knows what tomorrow will bring? It is just indeed we're going twenty four hours at a time right now. So as as are you all. So thank you for thank you for all for continuing to, to tune in every week and and uh, for, we're all he- we're all continuing to help each other through this. So thank you to all all of you for continuing to help us through this. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pirates. Email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the west lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.